Hello, everybody. Welcome back for another edition of Out of Bounds. As always, I'm your host, Spencer Brown. Joining me, we have Dalton Bishop. What's up? Oh, I'm doing all right. We also have Christian Ernst. What's going on? Oh, just, you know, chilling on a beautiful Tuesday night that we're recording. Lots to discuss in the sports world. Um, again, just a reminder, next week we will do our NBA playoff preview. NBA regular season wraps up um, this week, that's Sunday, actually. Um, so we'll have our NBA playoff preview next week. But before we dive into the, what's going on in the NBA, uh, a little bit of housekeeping with the NBA. The new collective bargaining agreement was agreed to over the last weekend. Um, a lot of stuff was, you know, agreed to, as one does in the CBA. And a lot of, you know, some tax stuff with the salary cap, the luxury tax. Um, you know, how like spending relations, like if you're so much in the luxury tax, you cannot spend, uh, you can't give certain contracts away. Some free agency stuff. Um, they agreed to like a smoothing of free agency, uh, cap rises, cause cap rises every year, uh, to where there's not another incident like in 2016 where the salary cap just skyrocketed because of TV deals and that allowed, you know, the Warriors to go get Kevin Durant. When because you know they had a lot of salary cap to uh, a lot of money to spend and some contract extension stuff, but uh, a few notable ones that we'll get into in a second. The NBA has agreed to an in-season tournament that could start as soon as this upcoming season, and again, I'll get into uh, thoughts on that. And there's also uh, a 65-game minimum requirement for awards. As well as you know, all NBA teams, etc., positionless. So the, again, the way it is currently, there's two guards, two forwards, and a center, and they will make that positionless. Uh, we'll get into that. So let's just start in season tournament. Uh, me personally, I'm not the biggest fan of the in season tournament. I just don't understand what the point of it is necessarily. I get it's probably a, you know a, a kind of a cash grab because I don't know that they're hurting for money. It's a way to generate revenue. Is uh, they've discussed this for years. It's similar to a uh, guess, you know, European soccer, to where they'll play the regular season, but then every so often it's like, oh, here's a match that's part of a tournament, and it's like that just in the middle of the season play. I know the WNBA has had, uh, I believe it's called the Commissioner Cup. They've had for the last couple seasons, where there's a few games that double as a regular season game and uh, seeding games. For that Commissioner Cup, the in-season tournament they have in the WNBA. And then after, you know, so many games, they, I guess, in the NBA, uh, they phrased it, they're going to go to eight teams into a single elimination tournament where, you know, the eight teams in the Final Four, potentially a neutral site, uh, namely Vegas, has been thrown out there. Again, I'll watch it just because I love the NBA. And if the Celtics are playing, you know I'll be watching that. And I'll be happy with the win, but like again, there's a five hundred thousand dollar reward for the team that comes to first place. If you're one of the higher echelon players, five hundred thousand dollars, again, it's not nothing, but it's not going to make or break you. But you know, some of those into bench guys, that could be again, that could be some life changing money there, and a lot of money for those guys. Maybe they go hard and like, hey, let's win it, you know, just for the bonus. Again, we'll all adjust to it. It will be a staple, just like the play in tournament is in the postseason. But again, I'm just not a big fan of it. But I, again, I'm not gonna say I'm not gonna watch it. Uh, and I can't. I'm not gonna say it's not gonna be fun. Like there might be, you know, very competitive games, especially 
in the end season tournament championship game, but I still think it's a dumb idea, and I will stand by that. Uh, Dalton, I'll go to you next. Your thoughts on the potential in-season tournament that the NBA is going to introduce possibly next season. The collective bargaining agreement, my initial thoughts, I was reading over it today just from a sports article. Um, I don't know. It's just something you got to do every few years, and, you know, they just uh, – they have – Done a good job at keeping up with the times. I saw there was some involved with uh, gambling and, you know, players don't have to get drug tested, for example. So um, there would be, uh, you know, some things, some things change and then other things remain the same, like the NBA trying to expand their brands and helping out the other league called the WNBA so there's that as well and uh players can invest and all sorts of stuff so should be fun as for the play-in tournament I'm not sure if I would even watch it I'm just gonna be completely honest I'm just drifting away like Dobie Gray from the league and uh just I don't know maybe I'll catch a glimpse of it or two or but other than that like it's Kind of cool. That's nice. Moving on. All right, Christian, your thoughts on the new in-season tournament for the NBA? That's kind of interesting. Um, I'm not the biggest fan of it, just like you. It's like, okay, I understand like for seeding and different uh, things. I haven't really looked into it. But when I saw the tournament, and I know they wanted to do something for All-Star Weekend and more of a cash grab, I mean – I thought the NBA would do it, like, earlier, like 2021, 2022, after the pandemic. But I, I don't get why the guys want to do more work. You know, you already play 82 games. You have, you know, 20-plus more when you go into playoffs. So it's really damaging your legs. I mean, they don't have the longest break in the world. You know, they have from June to – uh, like mid to late June, all the way up to the end of October to really rest. That's not a ton, you know, it's not like football where it's, you know, for if you go to the Super Bowl, beginning of February, all the way up till mid preseason in, you know, mid August. So it's not a long break. It's really kind of hurting your legs. And for NBA players, it's really important to still have enough juice and not be like, through the grinder. Um, so I'm not the biggest fan of that from a player standpoint. I know this, you know, they wanted it, but all in all, like, do they really wanted it or is it more NBA owners want some more money? Um, so I'm going to watch it. You know, it's sport, it's basketball, it's NBA. So of course people are going to stay, you know, are going to be tuned in, but all in all, I just don't know how long or how well it's going to run uh, these next couple trials. So, Yeah, it's definitely something to watch. Again, details are pretty uh, under wraps for now, other than, you know, there's the eight teams, like I said earlier. Um, so I don't know how they're going to divide, you know, what games are they're going to determine is, hey, these are the games that count towards this in-season tournament. Uh, but we'll find that out shortly, hopefully. Uh, another thing with the new CBA, 
that they've agreed to is a new for the awards. You have to play a minimum of 65 games to qualify for the awards. Again, I think that it's fair to have a certain game minimum just because you're like right now you can vote based on how many games. So theoretically, if someone played one game, you could, I guess, if you, if you were a voter, vote them in first team all NBA or vote them first place MVP. Uh, again, most voters take their votes really seriously, especially because there is, you know, contract ties with, hey, if you win MVP or, you know, if you make an all-NBA team, you can get the Supermax contract. Like, the money's tied up with these awards, so a lot of them take it very seriously. Um, And I get it. If you're not available, you can't help your team. So I understand having some sort of game uh, threshold. Is 65 the right number? Again, it's, again, it's not an exact size. We'll find out. Like this year, like if you look at Jokic, Giannis, and Embiid, like Jokic and Embiid are the two MVP front runners, and they're you know hover around that sixty-five game threshold. I believe Jokic has played it. Embiid's not quite there yet. Again, it's still a few games to go. The Embiid can reach that, so there could be some unintended consequences of you know this guy had a really good season for either MVP, defensive player, six man, etc., but they only played sixty-four games, and they're jilted out of an award because of that game threshold so it could have that unintended consequence but again i think you need to have some threshold because you can't really help your team and be the most valuable player using that war is the most prestigious if you only play like say 50 games so i could definitely see them adjusting in the future to you know make it 60 if they need to because of the unintended consequences just like the All-NBA Awards, I'll jump into that because that's kind of the same threshold of, hey, you had to play 65 games to be on All-NBA, All-Rookie, etc. Um, and I get going positionless because the NBA, it's not the traditional, you know, two guards, two forwards, a center. And you have guys that kind of swing, like Jalen Brown, the Celtics, for example, uh, plays some shooting guard and some small forward. So, like, how do you vote him? And the way the voting is now, if you receive votes for forward and guard, you split it, it goes to whoever has the most. And there was an incident a few years ago where I believe it was Kyrie Irving and Jalen Brown, if I'm not mistaken, where Kyrie had more votes for guard, but Jalen had more overall votes. But they went by guard votes for the All-NBA, like third team, and Kyrie got the nod. And this isn't like me hating Kyrie. I think that's actually the player that was the example in that scenario. So I get going positionless. But as I was listening to Bill Simmons earlier, there could also be an unintended consequence of what if there's four guards that make the All-NBA first team uh, because, you know, the four best players in the league have to be a guard that year. Or you see, like, this year where you have two centers, Jokic and Embiid, the same for the last couple years. And again, that's not as egregious. I think, again, there's definitely the possibility. I don't see that one necessarily happening that often. But the awards thing, Again, 65, it's a good number. Uh, it's a little over three-fourths of the season, which, again, if you're not available for 25% of your games, then I don't think you should necessarily be eligible for awards. But uh, that's just my take on that. So we'll see if there's any also voting this year. Are they going to take in the 65-game count for this year, even though it's not necessary? Uh, so, again, we'll wait and see on that. So that's just another thing that the CBA – added this year was a 65-game minimum threshold to qualify for awards in All-NBA teams, etc. Dawn, I'll go to you next. Your thoughts on that rule change in the new CBA? Yeah, terrific. 
absolutely terrific. Um, maybe maybe players will cut down on the whole load management part and actually play basketball. And uh, we'll see more stars. You know, they won't be sitting on the sidelines helping out their team from the bench, uh, clapping when a basket has been made. They will be on the court and scoring some points and doing whatever else they do, whether it's passing the ball or getting rebounds or stuff like that. So, you know, I think it'll be very, very nice. I was actually kind of expecting, you know, maybe they get it up to, I don't know, close to 70, like just a casual 69 games or 71 or the whole season. I mean, I don't really like, I, I, I can definitely understand that injuries are a thing and not everybody's going to play every game. I mean, you can certainly try. And, you know, I think they really looked at the CBA, the new CBA, uh, like the new CBA. And we're really thinking, and I'm not sure that, you know, we should probably cut. We should probably cut back on this load management stuff and try to. You know, there's so many people complaining about it. I mean, myself included. I mean, I'm, I'm such a complainer. I mean, it is ridiculous. I complain way too damn much. And I mean, I'm sure you guys can attest. I've said load management is stupid multiple times, multiple times on this podcast, and I'm not afraid to say it. It's just one of those things where I'm sure. I take a side. That's fine, but. You know, I think, uh, I mean, you're there to play basketball. That's what you're there for. You, your, your professional job is to play basketball. So if you're not doing your job, what are you doing? Right, exactly. So that's kind of like my whole stance. And I think that it's, like I said, good. Good job. Good job on them agreeing to um, get a higher, higher, uh, the number of games that you have to play in order to be considered for these awards. And you know what players love? They love championships and they love awards. So, you know, it would be, it would be great for the game. All right, Christian, anything you want to add about the new game threshold for awards in the NBA? I think it's pretty good. You know, I think there's a lot of complaining amongst players that, some have had more of a sample size of a better sample size than another. Yet that person is winning awards when they shouldn't have. Um, and I think it's a very good, you know, test, you know, a, a good testament for these guys, because if you're putting yourself out there and really trying to win these awards and get these max contracts that you're looking for, you need to put it, put yourself on the court and really, make a difference for not only yourself, but your team. So obviously it's not going to go into play until next season, but it's still a very good start because let's say one of the great players to ever play the game, LeBron James, you know, say he plays, you know, 45 because of an injury or whatnot. Now he has, and even though in those 45 games, he averaged, 30, you know, 35 points, eight rebounds, and nine assists. He played phenomenal in those 45 games, but load management or he's hurt or what have you, you know, now there's a viable reason why he can't go on Twitter and saying, hey, I played really good in my 45. I deserve the MVP. They're, you know, those judges are kind of crazy and they're wacko for not choosing me. Well, there's a reason. Now, 
you know, of course injuries can happen and something doesn't go right. So it's not like, oh, all 82 and you're eligible. Well, that, that that's not feasible. So at 65, it's about – what would what would that be like? A good it's a little over three third, like seventy five percent, maybe a little uh, over that. I think like seventy five percent. I'll do the quick math right now. But so you have eighty two games divided by sixty five. You get about oh, that's not how you do it. <laughs> uh, seventy nine. That's exactly what it is. Seventy nine percent of the games you play, you know, seventy nine percent of the season should count towards it. I think that's pretty good because you are playing a true four, you know, four fifths of the season and you should definitely be rewarded for it. So, or potentially be awarded for it. So I think it's a very good uh, rule change and it will definitely see less uh, load management and you'll see the stars that fans have paid to see for years and years. So it's awesome uh, to have this uh, rule change now in the new CBA. Yep. And uh, on to, I'll just briefly go through the NBA stands again. We are currently, we do have some games in action, so not all resorts uh, results are final. But uh, at the time of the recording here, again, Celtics uh, Sixers coming way down to the very end of this game. It's a three-point game as, we, as we're recording here. But Milwaukee is basically all but locked up the one seed in the Eastern Conference. Uh, with Boston at the two seed again, if Philadelphia wins this, then the league goes down to two, um, in the conference between the Suggs and the Sixers. But it looks like Boston's gonna be two, Philly's three in a potential second round matchup. There, you have Cleveland at four, uh, with the potential to maybe move up to three, um, but we'll see how that goes. There, New York, they've clinched the playoff spot now. Uh, the Knicks, they are sitting at five. The Brooklyn Nets, uh, again, they're a game and a half ahead of Miami for that final playoff spot. And again, the six, no, the six seed is important because that determines if you're in the play-in or not. And Toronto has locked itself into a play-in berth. Um, they can't move out or in. So Miami, Toronto, uh, if the season ended today, that would be the 7-8 play-in with the winner taking on uh, likely the Celtics there. Uh, but Atlanta, they are only a half game back of Toronto, so they have a chance to potentially move up to eight there. Chicago, um, again, I don't know why they're not, it's not saying they're clinched with the play-in because Indiana's eliminated from playoff contention. So it looks like Atlanta, Chicago, and Toronto in some capacity, they'll be in the play-in tournament. It's Brooklyn and Miami for the last spot. We'll see how that goes down. It's going to come down to the basically end of the season um, for that. Out West, a lot of position jockeying. It's possible. Down. Yeah, Denver, the one seed, all a bit locked up there. Memphis, the two. Sacramento, three. Phoenix sitting at four right now. But the Clippers at five. And the Clippers only a two and a half games back of Phoenix but they're probably locked into the fifth seed there. Uh, Golden State, identical records with the Clippers, so we'll see the jockeying position down there if any of them takes the fifth spot and takes on Phoenix. I mean, that'd be a fascinating series because you got Kawhi Leonard uh, versus Kevin Durant, or you got KD taking on his former club in the Warriors. But, again, the West is so tight that you have the Pelicans and Lakers 
just a half game back of the fifth seed Clippers, and that's a seven eight spot there. Uh, Minnesota, they're ga- losing some ground. Looks like Minnesota will be locked in for the play in tournament. Uh, Thunder currently a game ahead of the uh, Dallas Mavericks for that last spot. Utah just a game and a half out. Utah not eliminated uh, yet, but it appears unlikely. And Dallas, like I said last week, just a complete letdown if they you know trade for Kyrie Irving and they somehow do not get even in the play-in with 10 teams in the West qualifying for some sort of postseason action. I mean, that'd just be disappointing. But again, as we said, Lakers and Pelicans, Anthony Davis taking on his former team. If that was to hold, but like I said, the positioning, you have a two games separates fifth through nine. Then it is about three games left for teams. So again, next week we'll do an NBA playoff preview, preview the play-in games. Uh, first round matchups that are set and whatnot. So we'll see how everything shakes out over the course of the next few days. Um, so that's going to conclude our NBA uh, section for today. On to Christian for our NFL draft preview for uh, this week. So take it away, buddy. Well, thank you, Spencer, for that. You know, we are getting closer. We are just about three weeks away, uh, four weeks away, excuse me from the NFL Draft, one of my favorite times of the year. It's about to come to an end at the end of April. I'm very excited. I know you guys are. Dalton, you don't know what the Rams are going to do. I have no idea what Green Bay is going to do. I don't even know if we're going to even trade Aaron Rodgers. It's been daggum forever. Spencer, New England is just going to do New England stuff. So it's still going to be a fun, exciting time to see what our clubs do and kind of enjoy the first night together like we usually do. Um, And we'll probably say some stuff like, who is this dude? Who's that dude? And we may have, you know, a language, uh, you know, a bad word probably said here and there. But this week we are going to talk about the South Divisions. Last week I talked about the AFC North and NFC North, what their needs are. So please, if you are a fan of those clubs, please go to our last episode where I know we have some Steeler fans. I know there's some Cleveland Browns fans. Like, we have a lot of, you know, several of our friends are fans of those clubs we talked last week. But we are going to talk about the AFC and NFC South. So let's talk about the AFC South, shall we? So, obviously, the first team we have to talk about is the Indianapolis Colts. You know, the Indianapolis Colts are still – a dumpster fire, right? And even though I kind of skipped past Houston Texans just remembering they were in the NFC South, I'm still going to Indianapolis because let's go local, babies. So they have the fourth overall pick. They have a whole bunch of picks. Obviously, a lot of people think they should trade up one spot, go a little Chicago Bear to San Francisco like in 2017, trade up to get the project of the century and Anthony Richardson. Indianapolis is going to go quarterback. That is not a question. They are going to go after somebody. Does Arizona trade down for another team to possibly trade up to get the quarterback that they need? Do they want to use all their picks they have remaining after they trade for Matt Ryan and traded for uh, Carson Wentz and, and Phillip Rivers and yada yada? All these quarterbacks who failed and well, Phillip didn't really fail, but 
He was out of his prime, didn't out get them to where they needed to go. So, I think Indianapolis is going to stay put. I don't think Arizona wants to trade down right now because they, excuse me, they have a prime position to get big-time players. And that big-time player is Will Anderson. I think Indianapolis is going to stay put at four, and they are going to go for Will Levis. I think Will Levis is the move here. Carolina and Houston have one and two. They are probably going to go better quarterbacks than CJ and Bryce Young. But Will Levis, to me, is the third best quarterback on the board. I don't think he is the most NFL ready, but I do think Indianapolis has another quarterback in the rotation. They have another veteran somewhere. They could possibly, they pick up Will Levis. Give Will a little bit of time. He could develop very well as a player for Indianapolis. So that's where I think they're going to go in Indy. Now, going back to Houston, they have a number two overall pick. They should have had number one overall if they didn't, if they decided to lose their final game of the season. But Houston doing Houston things, they lose putting Chicago in that prime position. And Chicago, who did not need a quarterback in this quarterback-heavy class, they traded back and got a lot more picks and acquisitions in DJ Moore than anybody could ask for, and Carolina took their position. So, where does Houston go here? They could go C.J. Stroud or Bryce Young. They're going to pick up one or the other wherever, whatever Carolina decides to do. Carolina, I'll save their pick for later on. But uh, Houston is going to go Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud. That is the o- – and it's going to be a win no matter what. To me, Bryce Young is a better quarterback than C.J. Stroud, but it's not like C.J. is a bust. C.J. is very athletic. He just can't throw in a run, and his pocket presence isn't the greatest. And Bryce Young, I've seen him play live. This dude is going to shake off any tackle. There's six three, six four corners that can't take him down. There's two seventy plus defensive ends and defensive linemen who can't take him down. So the NFL, they're a lot bigger, they're a lot tougher, a lot older. But Bryce Young is still going to have that ability to escape when the pocket does collapse on him. So going to the next team in the AFC South, we're going to go to Tennessee Titans. Now Tennessee is in a weird kind of stage right now. They have a quarterback, but how much? Ryan Tannehill, Malik Willis, they're just kind of in a crapshoot storm right now. So I don't think Tennessee is going to go quarterback in the first round. Heck, they might not even pick quarterback at all. They have to figure out that situation when training camp comes around. But a couple needs they do need is offensive line. And this offensive line class is very heavy at the top. Now, Tennessee has the 11th pick overall. I do not think they trade up. I don't see many offensive linemen going very early. So, you need a stable left tackle for your quarterback. And I think the perfect pickup is ESPN's second best offensive lineman, and that is Paris Johnson Jr., 
out of Ohio State. Paris Johnson was a very good player under at Ohio State with C.J. Stroud, was really the rock of that offensive line. And, C- and Paris Johnson, not C.J., Paris Johnson is going to be a solid foundation member for the Tennessee Titans. Yes, he's going to probably struggle against other teams outside of division, but the Colts, Jacksonville Jaguars, besides Josh Allen, and the Houston Texans don't have that premier pass rusher that is going to dominate uh, Tennessee's offensive line. So it's going to be a better transition year because they're not playing against great defensive lines in the AFC South. But Paris Johnson is a very nice pickup for Tennessee at pick 11. Now, we are going to go to the AFC South winner and wild card weekend winner, Jacksonville Jaguars. Now, they picked 25. They picked really late. Could they trade up? Absolutely. But who knows what they're going to do in Jacksonville. Now, their top needs, they need some secondary help. They possibly need another help at tight end, maybe. Offensive line could be, you know, of use. But I think cornerback is a nice place to go. Let's build up that secondary a little bit. So I picked 25. They're not going to get the premium guys like Devon Weatherspoon, Joey Porter, maybe even Christian Gonzalez may be off the board. But, you know, safety. Safeties and cornerbacks are kind of, uh, you know, they're secondary help, you know. They're multi-rotational. So you've seen cornerbacks who are primarily safeties playing the NFL and vice versa. So I think a really good player at this spot, why not get a guy like Brian Branch? Why not get a guy that can absolutely cover the field side on the side on? He's a big-bodied safety. Um, And by the way, they had some very good safeties at Alabama, Brian Branch and Jordan Battle. And Brian was the better player, so if, you get a solid safety, an Alabama player like Brian Branch, who is a very – it's a very complex defense at Alabama. And Brian Branch, very intelligent young man. He can definitely help Jacksonville right away. You know, and it's going to be an interesting division. Jacksonville may win it. You know, Tennessee, we don't know how far they're going to go up the ranks. We don't know about Houston Indianapolis. They're in the basement right now. They're going to fight for third anyway. So – Help that secondary out. Get Brian Branch over in Jacksonville. It can definitely help their defense right away. Now, the NFC South. This is going to be a very interesting division. You have New Orleans, who if they didn't trade with Philadelphia, um, and I forget what pick exactly they traded with them. I forget who they got. But with the Saints being kind of further back, They're in the the later round of the draft, which doesn't help them because, my God, do they need it. They're at pick 30. It's, you know, they drafted, they traded back into the first round. But pick 30, you're not getting the premium guys at the very end of the night. So the Saints are going to go after, in my opinion, defensive line. They have really really missed Trey Henderson. He's in Cincinnati now. They miss Henderson. So they're going to go after a better defensive lineman in this class. Now, like I mentioned before, Jalen Carter's going to be gone. Uh, Kalji Kansi's going to go, going to be gone. 
you know, you're going to get some edge rushers and Tyree and Murphy probably going to be gone. But I would like them to go after a solid defensive end that could absolutely be there towards the ender round of the first round. I like to see them pick up Lucas Van Ness. Now, Luke, here's the thing about Lucas is he was not the primarily defensive end. Like, oh, yeah, like Lucas is going to be the big dog. Um, but in the route, in the wild moments when you're putting him under the radar, Lucas makes a couple moves. You know, Jack Campbell was really the captain of that Iowa defense. Lucas Van Ness, when you're paying attention to Jack, Lucas can come out of nowhere. He's got the ability. He's got the size, 6'5", 270. He is a big, big monster. And I absolutely think he can drop a little bit because I think it's going to be quarterbacks one, offensive line is going to get drafted, receiver, probably going to go secondary. You know, your primary defensive ends, Tyree Wilson, uh, Will Anderson, Nolan Smith, maybe even a Keon White will get drafted. Luke Van Ness is just going to hang out there. So I think Lucas can go get drafted by the Saints. Now let's talk about the winner of the NFC South. Let's go about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Man, they are in a little pickle because obviously their quarterback in Tom Brady is gone. They are trusting Kyle Trask. They're telling us Kyle Trask is going to be the guy. Um, we have no idea. Their offensive line is getting hurt a lot. Their running game wasn't very good, so they could focus more on interior line. They pick 19. So I think they could go interior line and one of the best interior linemen on the class where everyone believes they he is the best offensive lineman is Osiris Torrance out of Florida. Uh, Florida was a very up-and-down team this year i've been critical of anthony richardson i've been critical of florida in the past but osiris has really been uh one of their very few bright spots on uh, offensively so osiris you know he could get you know that first round bump uh people think he's gonna fall you know into the second round and he'll be a real good pickup there but tampa bay they're gonna try and you know they gotta establish the run game at some point Dalton has gone on many rants about how the run game is the most uh, important thing of the football team. Uh, it, you know, in Dalton's eyes, probably the running without the running game, you have no game. So, you know, Dalton, I think, can agree to that. But Tampa Bay was the worst, you know, running team in the league. Leonard Fournette is a very good running back. Offensive line just could not help him. So Osiris is going to help them a little bit develop and go into the right direction. And we can see a better run game from Tampa Bay next season when they're going to need it with a young quarterback like Kyle Trask or whoever they decide to put at the quarterback position. The next team, obviously, Atlanta Falcons. They believe they have their quarterback of the future in Desmond Ritter. And when I mean quarterback of the future, I mean for just this next season. So what does Atlanta need besides everything else? Well, People think they're going to need another edge rusher. They're going to need a lot of defensive help. They have their quarterback. They have their premier tight end. And um, that, that uh, Florida kid. Uh, Kyle Pitts. Kyle Pitts. Thank you very much, Dalton. So Kyle Pitts, you know, premier tight end for Atlanta. Have that, you know, we have not seen him, you know, throw and be one of the best tight ends in the league. 
So that's why I kind of forget his name. But Kyle Pitts is still a very good tight end. So they are going to go defense. And I think the best defensive end on the class is Tyree Wilson. I think Will Anderson is going to be gone by then. Tyree is going to be the next up from Texas Tech. He is going to be the next guy up for uh, Atlanta and really help their defense, you know, take the next step. Now, we go to the number one overall team. We go to the unstoppable, the unstoppable Carolina Panthers who almost made the playoffs last year. They almost made the playoffs. They were like week 15, very beginning of the year. They played Tampa Bay, and they could have won the NFC South somehow. Go any further than what Tampa Bay did? Probably not. But Carolina has the number one overall pick. And like I mentioned earlier, Houston Texans have number two. We have heard from multiple sources the Carolina Panthers are leaning more towards Bryce Young. I think that would be a better decision. But for Carolina, in a perfect world, Houston would want Carolina to pick C.J. Stroud. They don't have a perfect offensive line, but they have a much better offensive line in Carolina than they do in Houston with Jeremy Tunsil only. So, C.J. Stroud is more of a pocket passer. They have an, a better offensive line to surround him with. So, I think Bryce Young, even though he's the better quarterback, it'd be better for him, better for Carolina to have that quarterback. So, you know, he's six foot, so he's not going to get hit the entire time. But Carolina, I believe, is going to go with what they – thought they were going to get, who they thought more of when they were back at pick nine, I think Carolina is going to go C.J. Stroud. Is it the best pick? No, I think it's Bryce Young, in my humble opinion. But C.J. Stroud is a very good quarterback. He is very athletic. He does have a nice cannon. He does have a nice touch. But when he runs outside the pocket, he, you know, his throw and a run, if you're a Madden player, it's very low. It's not accurate at all. Low balls, some even very high. He doesn't have that precision when he's trying to escape. And his pocket presence can be kind of blinding sometimes. When he has enough time, he sometimes runs out of the pocket. When he has no time, he you know, sticks his foot in and tries to do his best. But CJ Stroud is still a very good quarterback. He is my number two on the board. I think Carolina will go CJ Stroud. And I believe Houston Texans are going to pick up Bryce Young after Carolina picks up CJ. Even if, even in this class, if they decide to go Bryce Young, Houston is going to go CJ. They're going to go one and two. I think it's going to be CJ Carolina, Bryce and Houston. And that is it for my NFC South breakdown. I will talk about the NFC and AFC East. So Spencer is going to have fun when I talk about New England and what they could do if they don't trade out, obviously. But that is all I have for the NFC South. So back to you guys. All right. I always appreciate the thorough breakdown every week, Christian, getting us ready for the NFL draft. So that way we're not screaming, who in the hell is this guy? Because we already know because we listened to Christian on that stuff there. 
Uh, to Dawn we go. Dawn finishes off with a little bit of racing update. Sure. So uh, this past weekend we had the Australian Grand Prix in which, in which Max Verstappen was the race winner. Uh, of course, he came in first because why wouldn't he? Lewis Hamilton came in second, followed by Fernando Alonso, Lance Stroll, and uh, Sergio Perez. Uh, going on to the uh, what's what's up next? Actually, this uh, upcoming weekend. Actually, we got two weeks off, three weeks off. Oh my gosh! Holy smokes! April thirtieth is the Azerbaijan Grand Prix at seven a.m. on ESPN. What a time to be alive! That is freaking terrific. Um, can't wait to watch that one because you know I'm gonna be getting up at seven o'clock in the morning on April thirtieth. Cause that's just the kind of fan that I am. Woo. Um, yeah, I wouldn't be shocked if Max Verstappen won that one as well. So going to the standings. Uh, so far through three races, we've got Max Verstappen with sixty nine nice points. Um. Sergio Perez, his teammate, with 54 points. Fernando Alonso with 45 points. Lewis Hamilton with 38. And Carlos Saints rounds out the top five with 20. Um, and then our American, the lone American racer in the F1 circuit, circuit Logan Sargent, with an astounding zero points. The man loves donuts, and he is representing the U.S. in a big way. Red Bull has got 123 points total uh, in leading the constructor standings by a lot. I was never good at math, but that is a lot of points. Uh, Aston Martin is in second with 65, so anybody with quick math can do that one. Uh, Mercedes has got 56, and then Ferrari's got 26, so it kind of just drops off a lot. Moving on, we are going to NASCAR because... It is a great sport. Uh, we have got the results from this past weekend pulled up um, at Richmond. What a great raceway. Solid 400 laps, 400 big ones. Imagine sitting in that sun all day long. That would be fun. Uh, Kyle Larson came out with the pole, the number one spot in the five Chevrolet. Started in ninth, led the most laps. 90 actually led the second most laps pardon me 93 total laps led 52 points gained for Kyle Larson Josh Berry the man taking over for Chase Elliott god bless him uh he has been out for the season due to um medical issues I do not remember what kind of medical issues but he is not racing currently so Josh Berry has taken over the 9 Chevrolet in in, in place of Chase Elliott uh, starting in the 30th spot and coming all the way up to second. What a guy. Led 10 laps. Ross Chastain, the watermelon man, and the one car. Chevrolet finishing number three. Started fourth, finished third. Wow, that's terrific. The lone Toyota in the top five. Christopher Bell never ceases to amaze me. He's always on top of his game in the 20 car. Started 21st, ended up finishing fourth. And led 26 laps with 45 points gained. And then Kevin Harvick in the last season with a top five finish. And Richmond, 
Uh, last season is going to be racing. And the four, four Ford. I know. Very confusing. Um, good for him. Uh, other notables. Uh, my favorite driver, of course, Kyle Busch, finished in 14th. Uh, terrific. He started second and went down, so not not great. He led one lap the entire day. Um, and then the leader, actually, the person who led the most laps was William Byron. Wouldn't you know it, he finished 24th in the 24 car uh, for Chevrolet and led 117 laps with 31 points gained. And uh, his start place was uh, third. So and it just shows you the fluctuation of how people can start in front and end up in the back and vice versa. We are moving on to the uh, NASCAR Cup standings uh no excuse me i am so out of it right now um terrific william byron is still leading despite finishing in 24th this past weekend he has got two wins one pole three top fives and three top tens he is leading with 228 points will byron for the 24 of Chevrolet. Kyle Larson is in second with 222 points, one win, one pole, three top fives, and three top tens. Joey Logano in third. Uh, the lone Ford, actually, in this top five standing. Uh, he drives the number 22 with 222 points, lots of twos, one win, two poles, two top fives, and four top tens for Joey Logano. Number four, we've got Kyle Busch, 215 points, one win, zero poles, um, two top fives, and four top tens. Mr. Consistency. Uh, I like all these drivers pretty much. Uh, and then Tyler Reddick, the, this year's Coda winner, Circuit of the Americas. Uh, good for him two weeks ago. Uh, in fifth currently. Tyler Reddick is with 187 points, one win, zero poles, three top fives, and three top tens. And that rounds out your top five. And just so people know from now on, the NASCAR Cup Series cutoff for the playoffs is at the 16th place. So the top 16 drivers will be going to the playoffs this year, just like last year. Nothing's changed. And so if you're 17 to... However many there are left, 452, 42, excuse me, you better get on up there. Uh, Daniel Suarez is just outside the top 16 with 158 compared to Chris Boucher's, who's in 16th place right now with 164. So it's a tight race there at the 16 and 17 spot. And Austin Sendrick is uh, kind of looking behind in the looking behind in the rear view as well in the 15th place. So. You know, some of those guys, they better pick up the pace, literally, speed up, and, you know, try to get some more points so that they can make the playoffs. Uh, let's go to the schedule. For the next race, we have got Bristol, one of the shortest, if not the shortest course in the entire NASCAR universe, whatever the hell that means. Uh, we are going to the dirt track. Oh, this should be fun. Um, bring your goggles. This is going to be, this is going to get dusty. And, uh, I would totally wear eye protection to that race if I was going. Uh, 
Uh, it'll be in Bristol. It should be a fun time, 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 o'clock Central, um, on April 9th. So, on, on actually, on, t- being televised on Fox. Not FS1, but Fox. Uh, like, there's a difference. I think there is. Um, so, that should be a fun time uh, for all of the viewers, those at home and there. So, that's pretty much all I got for you, Spence. Back to you. All right. Appreciate that, Dalton. Thanks for the update on the world of racing. So that's going to do it for us tonight. Again, real, relatively short episode, not much going on. Uh, but like, again, I'll restate again for probably what, the fourth time this episode. Uh, NBA playoff preview next week alongside uh, whatever else is going on in the sports world. We'll keep you up to date on that as well. And again, as always, I am Spencer Brown. I'm Dalton Bishop. And I'm Christian Ernst. So thanks again for your day.